1: All right, welcome back, beautiful people. This is Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Daniel And thank you so much for spending your time with us. Uh, we hope you learned a little something and keep the feedback and the questions coming because this is how we come up with our podcast and YouTube. Uh, episodes. And today I think we've got something that's pretty uh, important. And this is a compilation of some of the uh, repeated questions that we've been getting that have been sent. And so this is going to be a QA and a session with the docs to go over some of the most commonly asked questions.
0: Honestly, nothing better than this because you can basically just listen to all the questions that people have to come in, in here. So when you go see your plastic surgeon or when you come in here, you don't have to ask all these questions, or you can ask them from the person
1: yourself. And I know some of these questions we have addressed in the past, but these are repeat offenders that come up and uh, over and over, and so we're going to go over them again just so you are, are well-educated. So first question, what does board-certified mean? <laughs> and funny does question. it matter when choosing a plastic surgeon? I'll let you go
0: first. So board certification has been kind of a, a very it's a it's a very very important thing to look for in your plastic surgeon however you have to really see what board they're certified in because there is um there are are real boards that are accredited from by the american medical association and and the american board of medical specialties Um, and then there's others that are just kind of made up in a sense Mm -hmm. so There are facial plastic surgeons, and then there are plastic surgeons that are boarded by the American Board of Medical Specialties. These are true boards. They're very, very vigorous training. And to actually become board certified, you have to take a written and an oral examination. Tough, trust me, we went through it. Um, However, there are other boards like the cosmetic surgery board big red flag. It is not a board. It is not accredited by anything. It is a it is a board that basically you pay and you get a board certification that says you are board certified in cosmetic surgery. There's no such thing in a board certification of a cosmetic surgery. There's no board. There's nothing called cosmetic surgery. Mm-hmm. Plastic surgery is a field that is plastic and reconstructive surgery. Um, and that's something you really have to be careful with. And there is a lot of smoke and mirrors going on in this world, people calling themselves board-certified dermatologists, and they have no training in dermatology. Please look into their education. Make sure they've done a proper residency. We did seven years of it, okay? Some of these people do one year and come out and get a cosmetic surgery plaque put on their wall and say they're board-certified. That is very important, and the reason it's, it's important, it's for your safety. Mm-hmm. bottom line nothing else but for your safety
1: yeah i mean again not to to beat a dead horse but the idea is that you need medical school you pass exams to get into a residency <clears throat> and come uh, and move forward Then, after residency uh, which is your specialty then for us you know again this is a six year straight program or seven year, um, you know, actually if you're doing now it's eight years, um, they've changed it if you're doing general surgery. So it's Mm -hmm. five years of general surgery and three of plastics. Um, and so the idea is then after that, you, as he said, you have to meet a certain requirement, meaning you have to do a certain number of cases in several different, uh, aspects of plastic and reconstructive surgery. Then you take the written exam to make sure that you have the knowledge to move forward. And then in your first part of practice, you have to submit 50 cases um, that are diversified in multiple different uh, parts of plastic surgery. And then you take oral boards based off of not only your cases, but off of random uh, cases that are selected. And so it makes sure that you have the, uh, I guess, the acumen to discern what needs to be done, Uh, you know, you follow an algorithmic approach. And so, uh, again, this is a very rigorous pathway that's set forward, but it does become very important when you're choosing a plastic surgeon. At least that's what I would choose if I was, you know, to undergo plastic surgery. Agreed. Absolutely. Uh, Second question. What is the difference between cosmetic versus plastic surgery? Since I already kind of talked a little bit about it, I'll have you go with this first. So plasticos is a Greek uh, word meaning to change. And so ultimately, that is the crux of our field. Uh, And and so when we look at plastic and reconstructive surgery, we're altering the body one way or the other, whether it's cosmetic, aesthetic, um, or reconstructive. So the difference between cosmetic versus plastic surgery ultimately can be the same thing. Cosmetic just means that we are eliminating the reconstructive side of it. So ultimately the same thing, but uh, I think what you're really trying to do is what says or ask is what is the difference between cosmetic and reconstructive surgery? Otherwise, plastic surgery is all-encompassing. Absolutely, and and it's interesting because
0: the, the, some of these people we talked about earlier about board certification and cosmetic surgery, they don't teach them about anything that has to do with f- anything outside of just, for example, a breast augmentation. So, you you know, we know how to take care of the breast cancer patient because we know how to take care of, or we can take care of the person who had major trauma to an area and is missing a big chunk of tissue is very, it's, it's a much broader field than just injecting Botox filler and doing breast augmentation.
1: Mm -hmm. Simple as that. All right. Next question. Um, can I go home after surgery? Um, so, I would say for 95% of the cosmetic procedures, you can go home after surgery. The, the idea is we want to make sure that someone is there watching <clears throat> you. But most procedures, again, you're done as an outpatient. So, uh, you know, even when it's from facelifting to body surgery, liposuction, breast surgery, abdominoplasty, rhinoplasty, you name it, um, you can go home. Now, there is that small subset where we feel that it's too much surgery, uh, or maybe you know there's a uh, a comorbidity that we really want to watch, um, and so sometimes uh, we'll make sure that you're either admitted to uh, you know a nearby hospital, or what we commonly do for some of the larger procedures is we send people to an aftercare center where they do have RNs that can give medicines, properly assess a patient, and evaluate them.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we have our own ambulatory surgery center here. And for 99.9% of the time, I think 100% of the time, we've, we've never really sent anyone to the hospital, thank God. But mm. m- most of our patients are, are good to just go home. Um, but that option, like Dr. Lakey said, is given to go to an aftercare. If we believe that the operation is too much in the sense that People can't go home and they need to be in the hospital. We are both um, on staff at Cedar Sinai Medical Center and we can do the operations there. But generally speaking, most um, aesthetic procedures that we do, plastic surgery, cosmetic procedures that we do, most of them, most of the patients can go home the same day.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, next question What's the difference between Morpheus 8 and CO2 laser? Oh, that's a great question.
0: Mm. I'll start and I'll have you take it from there. Okay. Um, so Morpheus. Morpheus 8 is, is a, a microneedling radiofrequency device. So if you can think about, and, and if you go on our Instagram or TikTok, there's so many videos of it because basically it looks like a gun. And when you push the little button, needles come out. And they emit heat. So what it does is it does two things. For so years and years ago, there was a study that was done that showed by taking little needles and poking them into the skin, it induced collagen production by causing just dermal injury, micro injury. So the the people that that all the different companies came up with this idea of hey, why don't we do a two for one special and do micro micro needles and heat? So not only are going to are we going to cause induce injury with the needles, but also with heat. And basically what it does is it tightens, strengthens skin, eliminates fine lines, and generally just causes more collagen production to tighten skin Mm -hmm. from below. Very important. It is not a fractional laser. Now the other one, which is a uh, fractionated CO2 laser, is a fractionated laser in the sense that what it does is it's there to remove and and get rid of the top layer of the skin and really kind of resurface. In a sense, I can kind of say by like sanding the skin, smoothing the skin. It does cause maybe a tiny little bit of collagen induction, but not nearly as much as something, as Morpheus. So it's not as much there for skin tightening as it is more resurfacing. Dr. Lakey does a ton more of this stuff than I do, so I'll let him run with it even more.
1: Yeah, it, listen, I think... Um... You know, ultimately, they're the same thing, except that the laser has an ablative portion of it. And so, um, you know, listen, I use it for all my facelifts. I do think that you get some collagen production. Um, I visually see the skin tighten in front of me, especially under the eyes. It's one of the most common areas where you can really, really uh, get some skin contraction. The ablative portion kind of takes off some of the dusty layers of the skin. and So skin just looks more youthful. So imagine... It takes off some of those layers uh, and then it pokes microscopic holes into the skin, stimulating collagen. Almost like when you're you know, aerating a lawn. You poke holes in the lawn and grass grows. Same thing with collagen. So the difference between the two, I do think that the Morpheus goes deeper. Um, it can affect the subdermal fat, and so depending on the depth. And so you can get a a tiny amount of fat loss plus that collagen production, whereas the laser itself, you do get collagen production, but it's really more, uh, you know, you get that ablative side where it it removes some of the dusty layers of the skin. Cool. All right. Next question. And I thought this one was amazing. Um, How much money is too much to charge for plastic surgery? (laughs) <laughs> and you know this is amazing because, oh, you, you'll see articles coming out. There are guys that we now learn that charge anywhere from two hundred to four hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a facelift. Um, wow! You know we hear of rhinoplasties costing fifty thousand dollars. We hear of you know breast augmentations causing thirty costing thirty thousand dollars. Sorry, guys. You know, you know the idea is. Um, you know, it begs the question, is this ethical? You know, is there a, are we, are we violating the code of ethics by charging these prices? My initial response would be no. You know, the idea is in certain markets, certain niches um, that, you know, for whatever reason, certain surgeons have maintained or generated a, persona um, and and they have to be able to deliver some of the results otherwise you know there's gonna be a lot of upset people um, what is too much um, listen I think that again there are so many different factors that go into this this is only my opinion there's so many different factors that go into that experience efficiency um, it speed does not mean that it's better faster is not better. But when you do hit, um, you know, when you get good results, you know, I I think Mike Nyack uh, put out uh, these these three Venn diagram of these uh, these three different things. And one was speed, cost and uh, and results. And if you go over to better results and speed at the same time, uh, the cost would obviously go up uh you know it, and when we went to low cost uh and results weren't necessarily there it's it's it was very it just didn't work out in the Venn diagram where you have the best possible results you have speed and you also have a cheap price it's just it, that part doesn't happen because it takes experience um art skill all you know knowledge training all of these things that goes into the surgery itself um As far as putting a price on certain things, listen, I guess it's supply and demand. I mean, uh, you know, when you buy a $3 cup of coffee versus a $10 cup of coffee, and there are places here in Beverly Hills that have that, um, you know, you feel, some people feel like they're getting a better cup of coffee for that $10. But but the
0: argument can be made is um, you buy a Ferrari or you buy a Prius. Mm Mm-hmm and sometimes yes you do get what you paid for and it is very true if I go buy myself a pair of shoes from let's say Hermes versus from Aldo there is craftsmanship that's significantly different Mm -hmm. now is the price significantly different too it is now Italian craftsmanship when you have leather goods has always been better. Now, somebody who's been doing the same operation over and over and over again for so many years and has... God knows, thousands under his belt and is in a place like, let's say, Beverly Hills, where rents are high and cost is higher, you can expect to pay more money. I mean, again, sometimes it is obnoxious. I agree with Dr. Lakey, But at the same time, you know, I know people that set, you know, people up in aftercares for a while. and. Costs get higher and higher and higher, and depending on how many oper- uh, how many different procedures are being done, how many hours they're in the operating room, how many nurses that are there, there's a lot of cost that goes into it. Um, when it gets a little obnoxious, yes, I agree. Sometimes it's too much, but hey, the clientele, if they want to pay it. That's their business. I do think there is a sweet spot for most of the reputable surgeons. Mm That They just charge about the same. If you see someone is like three, four times different than the next guy that's just as good, then maybe it's just a little too expensive and you should kind of think about it. But just remember, in my opinion, most of the time, and we've talked about this before, when you buy that suit from Tom Ford, Versus, you know, you go to Zara, that Tom Ford suit's gonna last much longer than the Zara suit. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, a lot of people, when you start getting up into that price range, you're paying for a a particular brand. And that's That's really it. it. You're going to Louis Vuitton. And so uh, it doesn't mean that going to Zara doesn't give you a good result. right? And so... Just may not last uh, I, as long. <laughs> yeah, listen. I think you you really have to do your research on the surgeon. Again, my always my thing is always go with recommendations from people that you know and you think look good. That's True. usually the first step, and then you can start doing your own uh, personal research on whether or not they're board certified and blah blah blah. But um, you know, I think that's a you know again, it's supply and demand, and you're paying for a brand.
0: And remember, just one last thing. There's a lot of inflation out there lately, so prices have gone up, unfortunately.
1: Hmm. Um, here's the next question What is better for a natural look? Implants under or over the muscle? Uh, great question. Um, you know, first and foremost,
0: natural look is size before anything else. Um, it, you know, make sure that, that, that you size your implant according to to, to your uh, the the chest diameter uh, and make sure it doesn't exceed that. That's the first thing. Second thing is a more natural look. Well, this is kind of a loaded question because, generally speaking, a more natural look is goes under the muscle. But, and here's the big but, the animation deformity can give it away. So the, nat- the, the reason it looks more natural is because the takeoff at the top of the breast, the upper pole, is a lot smoother when it's under the muscle. However, the big difference is um depends on two things one is how much breast tissue you have if you have a ton of breast tissue you can easily go above the muscle you can go under the fascia and it looks as natural as you can get if you don't have any breast tissue well going under the muscle is the best way to go and it'll give you the most natural appearance however you have to fight with that what's called animation deformity that can make it look incredibly fake by making the implants dance
1: um excellent Uh, you know, our next question, this is a very interesting one and I think it's really important and, um, I I don't, you know, the answer is going to be our opinions ultimately, but how many times have you performed this procedure? This is a very common thing. So it depends on the procedure, but ultimately what makes you an expert, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously, um, you know, if you've done 50 cases, a hundred cases, a thousand cases, ten thousand cases. You know, when do you become an expert? I think, in my opinion, um, sometimes it depends on what the procedure is. There are certain procedures that I feel that you can get away with um, slightly less experience. It doesn't mean you're not going to have more complications. That uh, that is not what I'm saying. But if you're able to hide things and close. Um, You can get away with a little more. I think for people who are doing facelift and rhinoplasty, the ideal goal would be, you know, you should at least be doing one facelift a week. Um, for a rhinoplasty, it would be the same thing, at least doing one a week. You know, again, you, when you're looking, you want 50 cases a year. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that would be the bare minimum of someone who you feel has enough experience. So now this is when we're looking at cost ratio versus cost experience ratio. We're, we're now for the person who does 200 facelifts a year. Obviously, uh, you know, again, I, I'm hoping that the 200 um, they've picked up more experience and they can do things more efficiently. And um, you know, they have little tricks and nuances to their, their procedure. Same thing with rhinoplasty to do 200 rhinoplasty a year is a significant number. That's a a significant number. Um, I think in this practice, I probably do, you know, closer to a hundred or maybe just over that in in the year um, of rhinoplasties, And so, Um, the idea is you, you want to make sure that you are doing them on a regular basis, because if you're doing, you know, two, one month, and then you skip two months and then you're doing two another month, um, you you just don't get into that groove. You don't really improve upon your previous surgery. Um, you know, I'll never forget. I, I met Rick Davis, who's arguably one of the best rhinoplasty surgeons in the world. He's in Palm Beach, Florida. And I went up to him probably I don't know six years ago seven years ago and I and no no even longer I would say ten years ago, and I said I'm a budding rhinoplasty surgeon. What is your recommendation for me? And he said, "Son, I wish I could have done my five first five thousand cases over five thousand. That tells you the degree of skill that is required for some of these these cases. So again, um, you know." does anyone do 5,000 in a year nope yeah. <laughs> that is not not the case but um, the idea is you want you you want someone to have a general re- steady stream of cases let me get your thoughts I, I agree and, and it's very true I think
0: that the breast and body procedures because I do a ton of them are easier to hide so so it, it's the learning curve is is not as as steep in a sense, because it, you know you don't get someone's nose right, or if it comes out, it, it's it's going to wear down on you. Whereas, and it doesn't
1: know. mean that you you can't get complications again. No, of course, I'm thinking, of course, you know, absolutely. You're you're excellent at what you do because you do a significant amount of these. I mean, I see you do you know six breast cases a week, you know six body cases a week. Yeah. That's a different ball game. W- what do you think the the number should be as far as a minimum? You know, um, I
0: tell you, like there are certain cases, for example. A breast augmentation with a lift, mastopexy. In my opinion, it is as hard of an operation we do as plastic surgeons. Mm-hmm. People do them. I don't think they should. I think you should have a lot of experience with that yep. because you can run into a lot of problems. You know, up until about 10, 15 years ago, people weren't even doing them at the same time. Yeah, I think they're revisional were, surgery I think all,
1: all revisional breast surgery. I think yeah. you you'd really or, or need. breast
0: revision surgery. You need to know what you're doing. You can't go in there and be like, I did a couple of these in residency. Let me come out and start doing you know, revision breast surgery on people because there it really you need to do a lot of them. And I think that, like you said, I think 50 to 100 a year easy of that same exact case over and over again makes you feel really comfortable. And then doing that for years and years and years, kind of like Rick Davis said, I mean, you you really do when you go back, and it's the subtle nuances, even with a tummy tuck, where you go back and you're like, you know, the last 50 I did my belly button like this, I should have done something different. Because the more you do, the more you'll gain more insight in what else you can do to tweak it and make it better? So, yeah, I, I think you should you should go to someone that does that operation over and over and over again. And I do think a minimum, I think of, of fifty would be a year to, to really make someone feel like they're comfortable in uh, in doing that that type of operation.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good question, and I think it's you know it's not something you think about, and and it's, you know it's interesting because it's tough for a plastic surgeon coming out of residency because they are not going to get 50 cases a year on certain things. It doesn't mean that they're not good at what they do, but uh, there will be a cost differential, and that uh, that should make sense to anyone.
0: And that's, and that's one of the main reasons, interestingly enough, when, when John and I first started practice, we did a lot of surgery together, um, and we felt like the more operations we did, because we had more time on our hands, the more we saw together, the more competent we became in a sense. And then as time went on we realized listen, he realized doing face and and nose and, and doing above the neck was his passion and mine was below. And it makes it easier because we became you know, co- you know, a lot more competent in Experts in those fields Instead of doing everything And saying well I do a few noses a year And I do a few eye lifts a year And I Well that doesn't make sense People want to come to somebody That does things over and over And over and over again mm-hmm. And that's why this practice Really kind of works um, He lends me a hand a lot Which is really nice But, <laughs> uh, but on a lot of the bigger cases and, and I wish I could do the same But it's hard to, to do a nose With two people Yeah yeah
1: yeah um, Great great questions uh, This one And we've We've Kind of referred to this in our previous podcast, but what happens if I'm not satisfied with the results? This is a great question, and so uh you got to be prepared for some of the answers we're about to give you you know it's it's um everyone has to be very realistic
0: mm-hmm. and if you're having plastic surgery and you're trying to look different uh, that's a problem at least in this practice again we we want to put your best Face forward, or best, breast, or body—we just want to make the best version of you. Now, what we do in this practice is we have before and after pictures, and we sit down and we analyze them with you. And we are very realistic, and we're very open, and to to your suggestions. And we're here to make you happy. Now, if they're appropriate and they're reasonable, we'll bend over backwards to make it happen. If they're unreasonable, we really try to make you understand that some of the stuff isn't. Obtainable. like it's sometimes, sometimes the, the task at hand may be a lot larger than than you may think, and it may not even be possible. So, if it's appropriate, we do. We normally like to wait now,
1: and and to to, to you know talk about that. If it's unattainable, the it's the surgeon's responsibility to set those expectations. Hundred percent. You know, when, when we've got someone who comes in with massive weight loss, and you're doing body contouring, and they bring a picture of you know Kate Beckinsale. Um, you know, the idea is you can't say, oh man, you, no no you, worries. We're going to knock it out exactly. of the park. See you later. You, you're going to look close. <laughs> no. Um, the idea is it's going to take a lot to get there. Multiple surgeries, things like that. And you may never reach that point. So the goal is really setting those expectations. And it takes, listen,
0: it, it takes years and years and years. When you come out of residency, you won't, you think you can do anything. And then you realize that, um, no. It you really do have to sit with people. You have to look at their skin quality, and if they have poor skin quality, and you're doing a breast lift, and their their breasts are going to fall back down three years later, you need to explain this to them. Those big stretch marks. These are the things that, again, experience and actual a good teacher prior to getting out will teach you, so you can set the expectations. Now, let's say we do something, and, and something doesn't look right. Mm-hmm. Let's say let's say I do a breast lift on you, and your areolas are asymmetric, and One is a little bit higher than the other. Well, listen, it's not the end of the world. It can be fixed. Normally, for most revision surgery, the earliest I'll do anything is about three months. I prefer to wait at least six to 12 months. The textbook answer in a board setting would be one year. You need to be patient and wait a year. You need to wait the swelling to come down. You need to wait for everything to kind of go back to at least where it was before so we can really see everything. So we're not
1: continually chasing and then I mean, revise that's, it. And that's also, listen, the only reason why you circumvent the board recommendation of one year is because you have the experience. You know what's going to change and what's not going to change. And so... Um, you know, that's the only reason why sometimes you would deviate from that. Otherwise, listen, we would wait a year for everything.
0: And again, when you're knocking on my door nonstop and saying, I don't feel good about this. I need to get, well, I want to make you feel better. I, you know, I did do elective cosmetic surgery on you and I'm not here to make you feel like there's been, you've been deformed or something is wrong. Now, if it can be done, if it can be remedied, we take you right away and take care of it. Most of the time, eat the cost and take care of it if we can under local anesthesia so we don't have to put you to sleep again. But we really do try to put everything together, be very realistic, examine, and and really kind of look at the before and afters
1: and see if there's something that can
0: be remedied,
1: and we do it. There are three things that we really do in our practice. One, so we set you up beforehand with an insurance And so anyone who, within the first six months, we diagnose you with a potential complication or asymmetry or something like that that needs revision, that covers the cost of those procedures. Two, we obviously set those realistic expectations. uh, Very important. You know, and and that, I think, is the the most important thing. Um, And then three, let's say... We're outside of that period, um, or you didn't get the insurance for some reason, even though we get it on everyone, but uh, let's say you opt out of it or something like that, and uh, we see you back, and we say, okay, well, listen, we can do a little adjustment here, here, and here. We, at this practice, do not charge a surgeon's fee. We charge you for the OR and anesthesia. So if we can do it under local anesthesia we take care of it. But a lot of times if it requires you undergoing anesthesia, you obviously are responsible for those fees. So we try to be very reasonable. We understand that things can happen and we want you we want you walking around the city singing our praises because we've given you the best experience and the best result.
0: Amen. And, and 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 listen guys, don't think that that's going to be like that everywhere. Other surgeons won't do that, or they may. So don't expect this for your surgeon. Uh,
1: Last one here. Um, Let's see. How soon after can I fly? Um, You know, we have patients that fly in from all over the world, um, you know, especially, you know, even uh, definitely across the country. And we recommend that the minimum amount, depending on the procedure, is going to be seven days. The reason for that, in my opinion, obviously, is because you are in a pro-inflammatory state. And so the last thing we want you to do is, a pro-inflammatory state means that you are hypercoagulable. You can develop clots. And the last thing we want you to do is get in a car and drive for a long period of time or get on a plane and sit with your legs bent and the blood is stagnant and all of a sudden you develop a clot and your first step from that plane or out of the car that clot goes up into the lungs, uh, you know, it, it is a, a nightmare, a disaster. And so we, for the first seven days, require you to be here, active, walking around. Um, and then after that, we feel comfortable with flying. So I would say seven day minimum. What are your thoughts? I,
0: I agree. You know, th- there's there are times where people come in from San Francisco and have surgery and they want to go right back. And sometimes I'm like, ugh, oh, we'll see, depends on the operation. Now, it does. It really does depend on the operation. If someone's getting a tummy tuck, it is a hard and fast rule. Tummy tucks and liposuction for me, everybody has to stay here for a week. It is a very hypercoagulable state. Your inflammatory cascade goes through the roof. The last thing we want is for you to have complication after cosmetic surgery. Bottom line. And it's always nice to be in the town where your surgeon is for that first week just to make sure there's nothing that goes god wrong god forbid you have access to us if you need to see us and then after that we see you on the seventh day make sure you're okay you know sign it off and say okay you can do what you want even if you're coming in from dubai we have plenty of patients from saudi and dubai and qatar and from europe they'll fly in they'll hang out for a week they'll stay in a local hotel you know we'll make sure you stay in a nice place there is no rush to head back and then you know have something go wrong because your surgeon's not around. So yep. if you're coming in to see us, we prefer
1: for you guys to hang out for a week. Please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, listen. Uh, hopefully, you guys have learned something today. I love answering these questions because these are very common here in the office, and I know that you you know they're they've crossed your mind. And so hopefully, you've learned a little something today. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode. Uh, we've got exciting things in store keep those questions coming just because this is how we come up with our topics once again this is forever young i'm dr john Lakin. and i'm dr Payman Danielport. you can watch us
0: on youtube tiktok or listen to us wherever you listen to your podcasts peace